0: Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect, exiles of the dispersion Pontus Galatia, Cappadocia, the knowledge of God the Father, and the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling in his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you.
1: Thank you. Not so this is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Well, thank you. Now you could, uh, the stream, you can now cut it to the big screen. So it's just checking the stream. Hintai has just said that it's sometimes a bit choppy. For some reason, it's a little bit, it breaks up a
0: little bit. So if there is an interruption, those of you in the stream, uh, I think worse. We'll see, if, there, if it continues, we'll restart the stream and see if that works. So just bear with us as we, as we do that.
1: And I had um, I had a book around you, Stefan. Just give us one second. Uh, So
0: book one beneath the communion. Not a bad place for it to be. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, what a great what a great uh, to this new epistle, Peter's.
1: Peter's letter, and we are going to unpack it very deliberately, word for word this morning. Uh, I think there's much that we can learn from it. Whether you're a believer or not, I think it's vital to get some insights into what the church is and, uh, and what it means to be a Christian uh, in, in this world, in our current time and place. Um, so let's just go through it very slowly, and I'll, I'll get to the applications in, uh, in the verse as we unpack it. So, first line says this, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Um, Let me get it up there. What is,
0: uh, who is Peter? That's perhaps a first good question to ask. Who's Peter? Peter, of course, is the name. And often you read perhaps about him in the Bible, and, it's called, and he's called Simon Peter.
1: Simon Peter. It's the same man. And the word Peter, we are told, uh, is 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 the word for a rock, Petros, a rock Peter. Peter means rock. Uh, and and then sometimes you're a bit more confused because this man is called Simon, and then Jesus calls him. Speak Greek. G- Jesus spoke Aramaic, and in Aramaic, his name is not. Peter or Petros in Greek, but he's Cephas. Charles is there to tell us. Cephas, which is the Aramaic name for the rock. And so this can be confusing as you read the New Testament. Cephas, Simon Peter, Peter, they're the same person. Uh, And Jesus gave him the name Peter. Uh, Peter was an apostle. That's the next word we encounter, an apostle. Uh, What is an apostle? An apostle is someone who has been sent by someone else. He's in that word, in that sense, a messenger. He's an apostle, but an apostle has a specific meaning in God's word. To be an apostle is to be an ear, an eyewitness of the things that Jesus said and did. And Peter was one of the 12. He saw and he heard firsthand the things that Jesus did and said. And he will refer to them throughout this letter. You will hear him speak about the things that he's encountered firsthand. So, so here we have an authority that is speaking to us about what he heard and saw Mark was telling us what Peter saw but Peter is going to tell us what he saw but Peter is not going to give us a historical narrative account of Jesus' life he's going to answer the question what does it mean what does it mean to uh, what, what does it mean that Jesus came took on human flesh died on the cross rose again and poured out his holy spirit on a chosen people what does it mean that's what he's going to tell us throughout this book and he's going to do this in an authoritative way an authoritative way uh, if you want to put yourself back into the shoes of a first century Christian you had one source of authority in your life and that was the Bible the, the Old Testament scriptures called the prophets that's how they referred to this the prophets the prophets were read in the synagogues uh, and when it's pulled out or in the temple, when the prophet's writings were very carefully copied and read out in synagogue meetings, uh, it was uh, with great with great uh, somberness and care because it's something very, very important, with great authority. But we find out that the first century Christians, they treated, they treated the words of the apostles with the same, authority with the same authority uh, and it's uh, only through reading some of the some of the historians that's looked at these accounts that we see with how much authority they've treated them in 1893 Lightfoot, who is one of the well-known uh, commentators on historic sources he wrote so that's over a 100 years ago he, he wrote that people that lived much closer to jesus time some of the church fathers they treated the words of the apostles as authoritative long before any of the councils said that the New Testament the words of the Apostles are authoritative these men treated them as authoritative these are people like uh, Polycarp and Ignatius and Clement of Rome they all treated the words of the Apostle as an authority equal to that of the prophets equal to that of the Old Testament and, and so what we have here is we've got a word of uh, authority um, this word of authority that uh, we have well, it comes from it comes from uh, Peter, Peter, who says he is uh, he is an apostle. Now, I'm going to stop there for a moment because apparently there's something wrong with the stream. Let me just see what they say. They agree something is better. Seems to have settled. I'm going to take your word for it that it's now settled down. I don't know why, how it can settle. It has a heart and a mind of its own. Um, yeah, let me know if it uh, if it goes crazy again, and we might re, re, restart. It. Okay, so Peter is an apostle, an apostle of Jesus Christ, of Jesus Christ. It means that Jesus sent Peter, Peter the Rock. He sent him, and he sent him with great authority. He's invested him with authority. So the things that he would say to us really matters. It doesn't only matter because it's in the Bible. It also particularly matters because it's the apostle himself that says these things to us. And so, what is it that he Uh, who is it that he says these things to and he tells us who it is that he says these things to. Uh, he says to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in he names four places which is today's modern-day Turkey Pontus Galatia Cappadocia and Asia and Bithynia Uh, this is his audience he's writing to his audience a very specific audience and it seems like the commentaries are agreed that uh, no other apostle has visited any of those places. Now, I know it says Galatia in there. And we know Paul wrote a letter that is addressed to the Christians in Galatia. Uh, and, uh, and so there's a question about how many of them in Galatia knew any of the apostles, including Paul. So there's a bit of a question mark. And keep this in the back of your mind. Paul often would say, I have visited a region, an entire region, but he's only visited the cities. And he often does that. He goes to the city, and because he ministers to the city, he knows the city is the heartbeat of the whole place, and people will from there go out into the whole region. So by visiting the cities, he's visited the whole place. My judgment on this is that no apostle has visited any of these places. This is a letter written to them from one of the apostles, due in part to the fact that no one has visited them before. So that's something worth knowing. Who are these people? They are converts to Christianity. Yeah. They are Christians. They are not primarily Jews that are in these places. They, these aren't Jewish converts that's converted to Judaism from, from other nations and now they're Jews that's God fear is living in these places. No, these are Christians from all tribe, tongues, and nations that's living over modern day Turkey. Uh, and, and they are all are all united in this one thing and this is what paul gets or peter gets to now. he says to the elect exiles of the dispersion he puts three words together elect exiles of the dispersion so let's leave elect exiles for a moment let's just talk about dispersion dispersion is a technical term for diaspora or the diaspora you often hear people these days say, I mean, I'm part of the South African diaspora. I've left South Africa, I now live in London. There's people there's South Africans all over Europe, all over the world, in all kinds of places. Uh, we similarly get Nigerian diaspora and New Zealand diaspora. It's a word often used for people that are scattered all over the place. But that's not what Peter meant here. He wanted these first-century Christians to know that there is a biblical model for their scatteredness and what this means is the jews in the old testament where they were taken into exile into babylon they were the diaspora they were in the dispersion and what peter is saying here he says look you're trying to make sense of your life as a christian in a world that is not christian you're not left without clear guidance go and search the scriptures the old testament and you'll find a lot, of, a lot of followers of God there that were part of the diaspora, that were scattered. And the same lessons that they've learned was they were scattered, you can learn from them. And you get good examples of that. One of them is Jeremiah 28 and 29, where you see a false prophet standing up to say, oh, we're going to be led into exile to Babylon, but it'll only be two years and then we can come back. And then, uh, and then Jeremiah stands up and says, no, 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 we're going to be there for good, for a good 80 years before we come back. Uh, and so you, you can learn from the Old Testament what it means to be the diaspora. And I think this helped the first century Christians to know that there is a model. They can go back to the Bible and they can go, go read about this. So that's all I'll say about the diaspora. Let me zoom in on the, on the heart of the verse that we're reading and actually the heart of the whole book. And it's two phrases that are like two bulls running towards each other and they're going to slam each other uh, on on the horns it is elect exiles chosen exiles these two things are are going to run towards each other uh, and 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 head on Um, so what he meant with this phrase to those who are elect exiles over modern day turkey elect exiles These are very specific words elect means chosen chosen people he's saying to those of you that are the chosen people chosen people but you might be chosen but at the same time you're an exile these are two two words that shouldn't go together he says you're chosen it must be must be good to be chosen and then you're an exile which surely must be a bad thing because you're not home and what peter is doing is he's speaking to first century christians and he's speaking to 21st century christians
0: and he's saying to us i know, I know and god knows that he's like exiles in the world that they live in so let's talk
1: about exiles what does it mean to be an exile uh, an exile is someone that isn't home some of it isn't home.
0: And if I went around this room and I asked you where home is, where I am right now, uh, a good test that you can,
1: you can uh, use to find out whether, not, whether or not you are home is to simply ask yourself if something really bad were to happen to you today, something that really took the, the carpet from underneath you and your life falls apart. Where would you run to? Where would be home for you? Where would you go and hide? Where would you go and recover? Where would you go and recoup? And I suspect for
0: half of Canada Water Church, the answer isn't London. It's somewhere else. Not just for some of us in Canada Water that aren't from London or from England.
1: This is also true of Christians. Christians when our lives fall apart when all the oh, and everything everything falls apart and we are in desperate need of restoration We might think that the home we need is a place But the home we need is a person the home we need is the God who chose us the God who chose us that is where we are truly at home So to be a foreigner means to be at home uh, to, uh, to not be at home uh, in the place that you're at and the place that you're at Well, it has different values it has different customs it has different cultures you always feel yourself having to learn new things you're not quite sure how this works or how that works you're always feeling a little bit unsure about yourself And <laughs> what peter is saying here is this is normal not just because you're bulgarian or because you're south african or because you're nigerian or because you're from outside of london this is this is normal because you're a christian this is why you don't feel at home Is because you're chosen for something else for another home and to try and feel at home in this world in this place in this location well you'll always suffer you'll always struggle so you want to address this tension in a Christian's life to be elect to be chosen but to be in exile so let's just think a little bit more about that in a practical way and I don't want to, don't want you to answer perhaps out loud but but do about the impact of this tension yes. if you're a christian in your own heart i know inwardly that i belong somewhere else i belong to god i belong to uh, to a god that loves me that made the world that that that, that, that wove me together in my mother's womb that, that knows me intimately and well and i love to please him i would love to please him i often find it very hard not just because of my own sin uh, and not just because the devil sort of is right here to pull me in that way or that way, but the culture that I live in don't always, you know, push you to do things that will honor God. In fact, our culture is very much, uh, very much neutral about God, uh, and if not neutral, then hostile towards anything religious. What, how, how does that make you feel? I mean, what's actually the feeling that you walk around with in your heart? Uh, it's it's fascinating. We'll get to that in the second letter of Peter, but Peter reveals in Second Peter five, I think, um, was it in three? That that Lot was incredible, was under incredible agony. Lot was was based in Sodom and Gomorrah, and he saw he saw how people lived, and and it made him very sad. It says here in verse seven of chapter two, Second Peter two. He says here if he rescued righteous lot greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked for as that righteous man lived among them day after day he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard he explains to us that lot whilst he lived in Sodom and Gomorrah and he saw the evil culture around him he lived amongst them that's where he lived but it said that he tormented his soul tormented his soul over the lawless deeds that he saw and heard. And I don't know about you, but I certainly feel like that. I feel like that when people use the Lord's name in vain anywhere, a film that I'm watching or on the tube or just in the street or a builder or someone someone coming into your house to do some work. And they use the Lord's name. It's like a stab to your heart when that happens. That's but one of a thousand equal cuts that take place during the week as people not misuse the Lord's name, but they, 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 they lie, and they, they're arrogant, and they're boastful, and, and it's partly hurtful, because in what they do, you see something of who you are by nature, and, and instead of feeling arrogant or proud or holier than thou, you often feel, but that's me, that's a bit like me. Uh, And and it it brings a feeling into my heart that just torments my soul. It's not comfortable when you're in a culture that's moved away from God. And God is warning us here that there is no culture that is truly at home apart from being with Him. Every culture, no matter how Christian it is, will only go up in the amount that you feel slightly better or slightly less better. But they will not be home. The culture cannot be your home. Because your home is only to be at home with God, your Father. And, uh, and so you've got to ask yourself, what does it make you feel like as a Christian to live in a world where, where people are not worshipping God, not living to his guidelines? Well, into this feeling, the gospel comes. And the gospel is summarized in one word.
0: that drives the next two verses so if you can understand what it means to be chosen to understand the rest of
1: the two verses and because there's the opening of the book you'll understand the rest of the book the chosen he says you are the chosen exiles what does it mean to be chosen now i'm not going to talk about election and predestination just now that's for another sermon another time but let me just say this that the bible is very clear there are two family trees there's the family tree of Adam and there's the family tree of Christ and throughout the Old Testament you can see that the family tree of Adam are everyone all of the descendants of Adam all mankind and they're all wanderers they're all in exile every man woman and child's true home is the garden of Eden that's where we really want to be whether you're a believer or not on the stream you really want to be home in the garden of Eden that's what you were made for But at the end of chapter 3 of Genesis, we read that God banished Adam and Eve and their descendants from the garden. And he had to install a cherub there with a flaming sword to keep people from coming back in. Because they want to be back in God's presence. And from that moment onwards, all humanity became wanderers. We all became sojourners. We all became exiles. All of us are just wandering around. But then God seems to put his hand into the stream of people, human nature that's flowing away from God. He puts his hand into the stream and he chooses for himself some for a particular purpose. And this passage tells us what that purpose is. He chooses for himself some for a particular purpose. And I can make the purpose clear by telling you about the opposite. The purpose, opposite of that purpose, is to be distracted that's the opposite distracted let me give an example Uh, Cain and Abel Cain and Abel they are two brothers they are the two sons of Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel each brings an offering to the God to God God accepts Abel's offering but he rejects Cain's offering Cain then proceeds to kill Abel his punishment for killing Abel is that he is sent away from the family he's sent away Uh, And he's he's very sad in Genesis 4 when this happens. He's terribly exposed and vulnerable. He says his judgment is too heavy for him to to carry. It's too much to be sent away, to become an exile, to become a wanderer. But nonetheless, he has to go. So he goes. And you know where he goes to? He goes to the land of Nod. And the land of Nod, you'll see in your Bible, it it has a little footnote there that will tell you the land of Nod means... Wandering the land of wandering. The wanderer is sent to the land of wandering, and the first thing that he does in the land of wandering is he solidifies his exiled status. He, he embraces the fact that he is now an exile, he is now a wanderer, and he starts a city that'll keep him busy in his state of wandering. He tries to make a city to make him feel more at home. Now, I know Nadia, you heard this talk on Thursday when we said that Cain and Abel then, Cain founded the city, and the city was actually the first form of technology. First form of technology. He distracts himself from his wandering status by setting up a city with some walls, with some irrigation, with some, perhaps some nice internal lighting, lighting, and... uh, Flushing toilets. I'm not sure what they did in the city. But he built a city. It must have taken up his whole life to do that. But at heart. What was going on in Cain's heart? I'm a wanderer. I'm not home. I'm an exile. I'm not where I'm supposed to be. But he kept himself busy. Now church and those of you on this stream this morning. Isn't that what we do when we go into the world of technology. Our phones. The 24 hour newsfeed, anything else in terms of our lives, technology that we hold or keep ourselves busy with, from fixing cars to bicycles to hanging light fittings to sorting out your, cup, your, your, your cupboards, it's distraction. You want to feel at home. And that's the feeling I get when I look at interior design pictures, for one. I look at them and I think, oh, that looks lovely. Those scattered cushions, they just look so comfortable. I, I love that. Go on the John Lewis website and see how much they'll cost. Oh, that's too much. Anyway. So you're constantly aiming to feel at home in everything that you buy and that you, that you put around you. You long to feel at home. But in many ways, we are distracting ourselves from the central truth, and that is that we are in exile. And the only antidote for this exile is to not be distracted, but to be focused on a truth. And that's what Peter wants to get us at. He wants us to focus at a truth, or on a truth, and I'm going to unfold this truth to you, so hopefully you can focus on this truth. But here is the truth. The truth is, to those who are elect, exiled, uh, elect exiles, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for the obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinting with His blood. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And if you want to understand this passage a little bit better, you can go to the, to the central verb to the whole passage, the main word that tells you what's happening, and it's the word for choosing, for chosen. The, the central thing that's happening is you are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. You are chosen by the consecration or the sanctification of the Holy Spirit. You are chosen for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ be chosen father son and holy spirit chooses a people put his hand into the stream of water chooses for himself a a group of people and he's really saying to all of us that are believers he's saying i want you to focus on that that you are chosen by father son and holy spirit now he's going to do a bunch of things with you he's chosen you and he wants to do all three persons of the trinity wants to do something with you and wants you to understand something but that's where your focus needs to be Instead of being distracted from your wandering status, exiled status, keep yourself busy with your career, with house building, with this fixing, with social media. He says, no, 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 come back. Come focus on the fact that the God who made heaven and earth has placed His love on, on you. And He's not done with you. He's still busy. And He's doing marvelous, wonderful things with you. You will soon be home. That's what He's saying. So let's see what the Father the Son and the Holy Spirit is doing with us in this passage the first thing that the Father does is in verse 2 he says according to the foreknowledge of God the Father we are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father now the word foreknowledge uh, is the Greek word for prognosis prognosis is very interesting and that is when when uh, doctors uh, m- decide how they, will, uh, how they will treat you, what the outcome might likely be if they treat you in this particular way, they've diagnosed the, s- the symptoms and then there's a prognosis. Is that roughly right? Yeah, that's roughly right. Okay. So, prognosis, it's two words together prog and gnosis. Gnosis is to know, is Gnosticism comes from that secret knowledge. It's not, it doesn't say in this passage, According to the knowledge of God the Father. No, speaking about according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Because God the Father... It's not because God the Father knew, mm-hmm. oh, you're going to choose Him one day. I, I know that you're going to choose me one day. So you're chosen because one day you'll choose me. I, I, I have the knowledge that you will choose me. You've got your free will. It's completely free. And I know that you'll one day choose me. And so that's why you are chosen. No, it is... The word prognosis, for known. And foreknown doesn't mean God looked through the telescope of time and looked into the future and said, Ah, okay, see what's gonna happen. okay That's why you're chosen, because I know you're one they choose me. And that now I can refer. Because you see, we've got a problem here. The Bible would tell us that God chose us before the foundation of the earth. Those that belonged to God was his even before they existed. God foreknew who is going to be his people who he will choose to be his people long before he even made the people and as an aside you can see from this passage god has great purpose in what he's doing he has a plan he's got a plan he, the father the son and the holy spirit are involved in this plan and in his plan there are some people that plays a key role and the chosen are those people and God has foreknown them, and John Stark would say, those that He foreknew, He foreloved. It is because God placed His love, before the foundation of time, He placed His love on Kruger the cock. He said, I placed my love on Kruger the cock, and He made Kruger the cock. And out of that, my love, God's love and my love for Him became one the moment that I was made. Well, later on, I professed my faith in the Lord, and then you could see the fruit of the fact that I was foreknown. But my my coming to faith was not my own doing. It was not my own doing. We'll come to Martin Luther in a second who said something quite similar to that. But to be foreknown is to be foreloved. God's place, God places love on me, and His love on me, and that is uh, how He knew me. I think I'd say Kruger, that sounds like theological gymnastics to me. It feels like trying to do something that doesn't quite fit. No, surely it just means that God knew beforehand i'll choose him so what's that all about the trouble is in the same book in the same chapter in chapter 1 in verse 20 he talks about jesus and this is what he says he was foreknown before the foundation of the world but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you that's verse 20 so so it says god the father foreknew jesus christ before the foundation of the world and i think did he just Did he look down the telescope of time and see his son? No, surely not, because his son was there from the beginning, all the way through. It can't mean foreknew in that he will find something out later on, or he looks forward to find it out. It can only mean foreknew in that he loved his son. His son was already, he knew him in the way that Adam and Eve knew each other in the Garden of Eden and had children. It refers to their intimacy. Foreloved. God knew his son. God knew his chosen ones before they came into being. He knew them intimately. He placed his love on them. And so this is Peter's way of saying, look, you can be distracted trying to make a home for yourself, or you can come home to your father that made you, that chose you, and that wants to bring you home. That's the options that's open to you. But those that choose him, choose him because he chose them, and they come home to him. They come home to him. So that's God the Father. Then the next one is, what does the Holy Spirit do? You are chosen, and the passage says, in the sanctification of the Spirit. Now, a little bit of a debate at the moment. Chosen in the sanctification of the Spirit, or is it chosen by the sanctification of the Spirit? The commentary seem to be divided on that particular topic. But the rest of the Bible makes it clear by the Holy Spirit those that God chose he also sent his spirit into their hearts so that they become more and more sanctified become more and more holy become more and more like Jesus the Holy Spirit comes into our lives and it's by this Spirit that we can hold on to the work that Jesus Christ has done on our behalf and can know that god the father loves us it's the holy spirit that reveals this to us and that's why i said uh, martin luther comes into play here when martin luther explains the apostles creed that language says i believe in the holy spirit listen to what he, listen to what he says about that one line he says i believe that by my own understanding or strength i cannot believe in jesus christ my lord or come to him when he says i believe in the holy spirit he's saying The the one thing that i really believe is that i don't believe that's the one thing that's it he knows that the one thing i believe in is that i can't believe in god all all by myself i just can't I, i believe in the holy spirit i believe that the holy spirit is the only agent through which i can come to god that's what peter is reminding us of here he says you are chosen according to the foreknowledge of the father by the sanctification of the Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes into your heart, He gives you a new desire to live for God. And this desire is not from within you, it comes from without you, it comes from God. And what happens is, your character becomes more and more conformed to Jesus. Your character changes. It's not just your behavior, it's not just pretending that you're holy or that you're doing the right thing, it is your whole character changes so you can become more like Jesus. That's sanctification. And then lastly, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood. What does it mean that I'm chosen for this purpose? For for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood. Sounds
0: quite ominous. I was chosen for sprinkling by His blood? Are you telling me? That's a bit disconcerting. Not. Not. Not if you
1: remember at the Lord's Supper, I lift up the glass at some point and I read the words of 1 Corinthians 11, where, Peter, where Paul says, Jesus told them to say, this is the cup of the new covenant, the new covenant. So, let's rewind. We're talking about covenant at the moment, new covenant. We're talking about sprinkling of blood. What's going on here? In Exodus 20, God gives him the Ten Commandments. He tells him, this is how I want you to live. Uh, and then after he's told them how to live in exodus 24 the people oh my goodness you've got to love the people i think i would have done the same the people say yes god all that you've told us to do we will do it yes we will do it all the words that the lord has spoken we will do yeah very enthusiastic it's a bit like we all feel after christmas and you think i'm going to start exercising every day seven days a week i'm going to start every day i will do it well you last about two days normally. They say this. Now, God knew that this is what his people are like. And the old covenant said, There's the law, do it and be saved. But the new covenant says, There's the law, you can't do it, I'll save you. And that's where the sprinkling of the blood comes in. And God already told them about this in Exodus 24. Because in Exodus 24, they say, All that you said we must do, we will do it. And then God says to Moses, Moses, take some blood. Half of the blood, put it in basins, and half of the blood, throw it against the altar. So he takes half of the blood of the sacrifice they brought, and they throw it against the altar. What happens to the other half of the blood? And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins, and half of the blood he threw against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken we will do, and we will be obedient. Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said behold the blood of the covenant that the lord has made with you in accordance with all these words you see the blood that was splattered all over them must have been yucky for a start but it was splattered all over them so that they can have a sign and a seal of this covenant that they made with god we will do everything you've said we should do we will do it and we we happily adhere to the terms of this agreement and If someone has to die in order to meet these requirements, it's fine. But you see, no person could ever fulfill the law. No person could ever fulfill the law that God made with them. They could never keep to these commandments. And God knew that. He gave them the sign because He said, I know you can't do it, but I will do it on your behalf. I will come and my blood will be splattered in order to save you. And now we celebrate it in the Lord's Supper. We say, this is my blood, the cup of the new covenant. It is the blood of Jesus Christ that was poured out for our forgiveness on the sins. for sins. That is the blood that when we baptize someone and we, we sprinkle water on them, we can immerse them as well. But if we sprinkle water in, that's the message that comes with it. It is the blood of Jesus that washes our sins away. And that is the sign of the new covenant that is now existing between us and God. You see, we live in this tension, elect exiles. And God says, I know this puts a tension in your heart. But do not believe for one moment the way to resolve this tension. If you're at that point, the one thing is that you can do is I'm, forget about this tension. I'm going to make my home in this world on my social media, in other technology things. I'll just try. But if you chose now, I'm going to push against this. You say, okay, here's what I'm going to do. All that the Lord has commanded me, I will do it. And you try your very best. You will also not feel at home if you do that. The Only way you'll feel at home is if you see that He did everything necessary for you to be able to come home to Him. That you rest in the work that He has done for you. Uh, And so, with that, I want to end with Ezekiel 36. This is a promise that God made in Ezekiel 36. It, It is Him that says in Ezekiel 36, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. Remember what all of this is about? It's about wandering, not being home, being in exile. And God promises in Ezekiel 36 verse 24, He says, I will gather you. It's the opposite of scattering. I will gather you. God says, I will gather you. And once He's gathered them home, He says, and I will sprinkle clean water on you. I will sprinkle clean water on you. That's the blood of Jesus. And you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses. And from all your idols I will cleanse you. Great. He's gathered me. He's brought yeah. me out, He's washed me through the blood of Jesus. Great. Let me try again. All that you command me to do, I will do. Yeah, you might want to say that. But God knows our nature too well. He carries on to say. And I will give you a new heart. And a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh. And I will give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. That's what it means to be home. It's to have the Holy Spirit come into us to rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ and to live as someone that's not trying to make a home for himself, but someone who has received a home from the Lord. I'll close with a practical example and then we can celebrate the Lord's Supper. I visited uh, a friend's house Four or five years now six years ago in in um, actually in Memphis this man is a very accomplished uh, construction man a big construction firm uh, and he and his wife has lived for their entire lives in in smaller houses and raised their children in these houses built their business and it was a fairly big business at the time um, and and um, and they've allowed me and two other ministers to come and stay at their house whilst we were there for a conference. And so they said, we can live in their guest house. And it was glorious to arrive at their guest house because it was literally a guest house, a house for guests. You know, you can park next to the house, you get out, there's ensuite bathrooms and bedrooms downstairs. You go up a flight of stairs and there's an open plan kitchen with a big pool table in the middle. and. Beautiful views of the little estuary that they're in. It's a beautiful house. And then, as you look to your right, you can see the house. I mean, the real house. This is the guest house. And uh, you can see the real house. And as we got to know this family, it was incredible to see how much effort had gone into uh, building this house, designing this house, sourcing all the furniture, the lighting, everything else. You know, we had a great time just listening to them. I was quite surprised when it was two or three years ago that I heard that they would sold the house had sold the house they sold the house and they've moved from that house to a small apartment in central Memphis from where uh, they have embraced the fact that they are elect exiles in this world that they'll never feel at home that after all the effort of building a house in which they will now finally feel at home they still never felt at home they never felt at home and and now as far as I know they're actively involved in inner city ministry uh, and just pouring themselves out in it. They've embraced the fact, that I'm sure it won't be a small, dingy apartment, it'll still be a very nice apartment, but they've, they've sort of they've pushed away what they tried to do previously, and that's to make a home for themselves in the world, and instead embraced another approach. And I would encourage you to think along the same lines. It's the gospel that releases this to us, because our Lord Jesus, He left His home in heaven to make His dwelling amongst us. And then for the joy he said before him, he went to the cross. And then at the cross, I mean, for all this time he did not have a home, not even a place to rest his head. And then when he died on that cross, some of the words that must have made sense to the disciples then is when Jesus said, I'm going to my father's house, I'm going to prepare a place for you. When Jesus said, I know what it means to be an exile in this world. I know what it means, Christians, to feel out of place in the world that you're at. I've come to stop that. I'm going to make a place for you that will truly be home, where you'll finally feel at home completely. So my encouragement to you as an exile, perhaps of your nationality, or an exile because of your history, or an exile because of bad habits, or an exile because of, uh, of, of Christ. We feel not at home in the place that we live in. All of us, let us come out of our false homes and come to Jesus, the one who's prepared a house for us, in himself. We pray for us. Oh Father in heaven, we thank you so much that you have directed your apostle Peter to give us this entire letter that will address this theme of what it means to live in the tension between wanting to be at home but not being at home yet. What it means to live in the tension of Feeling as if we're, 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 we belong to you, that we're your children, that, that we should feel more comfortable and at home. And yet in the flesh we, we, are, we are not. We feel out of place as if we don't fit. Thank you for knowing the status of our hearts and coming to speak to us about these things. We look forward to the next couple of months as we delve into this. Please, Father, let us truly come home in the gospel. Let us come to rest uh, at your feet. Uh, We hear those words that your son said, come to me all of you that are uh, heavy laden and overburdened, come and I will give rest for your
0: souls. Now let us find rest in you. We pray this in Jesus name. Amen.